All right, there you go. There's the music. That means it's time for Animal Talk. Some of the best doggone pet people on the planet here to help you with your pets, whatever the problem is. We got professionals standing by, ready, willing to help you out. We like talking about animal issues, talking about interesting animal stuff. And let me tell you about interesting animal stuff. There's no way to there's no way to to do it without uh, just the, the the total spoiler alert on the whole thing. Uh, the last diving horse in America. Picture, if you will, uh, the Atlantic City Boardwalk and horses and, and people together diving off of platforms in, into basically a pond, a, a puddle of water uh, for people's entertainment. Uh, sounds a little twisted. Sounds a little weird. Uh, but it, And yet it was a reality uh, in America and and. We have with us. I'm I'm so honored. This I'm I'm just so excited to to dig into the story and find out. You know how uh, Cynthia Brannigan was able to adopt the last diving horse in America. Cynthia, welcome to Animal Talk. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So, Cynthia, I, you've you've done so many things. I mean, you've been involved with animal advocacy for lots and lots and lots of years. We don't want to put dates on it, but, uh, but lots and lots of years. And you you get involved with greyhounds, and you just shared with me uh, before we went live that uh, you're bringing another greyhound into the fold uh, just this week. Um, you started back in nineteen in the eighties, right? In the eighties, uh, uh, with adoptions of greyhounds, and you facilitated. Yeah. Over, over, well over five thousand uh, adoptions uh, of greyhounds. Who's who's coming into the fold this week? Uh, well, it's going to be this weekend, and it's a dog known as Jamie. His <laughs> um, racing name was Kelso's um, All for One. How they got Jamie out of that, I don't know. Uh, but uh, we happen to have his mother, Kelso's oh. Wanda, and gee, it's you know reuniting. Mother and child reunion. So Jamie will become Jamie Brannigan. I like just like Jamie <laughs> Flanagan over here. Uh, that's yeah. so that's so cool. It's like I'm, um, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm in the market for a dog. So I'm just saying, uh, it's good. My <laughs> wife could be very angry with me. <laughs> uh, and I love 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 greyhounds. The problem is we have a cat. Uh, I'm a cat guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, not all racing greyhounds get along well with uh, other small furry things moving around a house. Not um, all, but some, some. do. Yeah. And my first one, that was a requirement that he get along with my six cats at the time. And he was terrified of them. <laughs> and he was a grade A racer. So you can never tell. Sure. So, but let's let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit before we get to mm-hmm. Jamie and, and the greyhounds in your life now. Uh, and, and Cynthia, tell me about your childhood. Um, (laughs) what was your first pet (laughs) (laughs) um well my first pet was a cat my parents wouldn't allow me to have dogs and they said when you're an adult you can have as many dogs as you want (laughs) they limited me to cats and as you can tell i i got my revenge but um cats and just always drawn to animals i was Mm -hmm. am an only child maybe that was part of it and um I think the thing that was, I had an incident at boarding school where I tried to save a mouse and um, the head headmistress didn't really take too kindly to that. Uh, so that strengthened my resolve that this must be the right thing to do sure. since she didn't care for it. <laughs> and uh, when I was at college, uh, 
tragic incident, really, I found the paw of a raccoon caught in a leg hold trap. It mm. had gnawed its foot off in order to escape. Wow. And I just thought, gee, something's got to be done. I have to try and help to the extent that I can. And then fast forwarding a few more years, I met author Cleveland Amory. And um, at the time, he was known as the founding father of the animal protection movement, the modern animal protection movement, because he used to talk about um, it used to be relegated to little old ladies in tennis shoes. And he wanted to put cleats on the little old ladies. And I think he did. Yeah. But um, he kind of took me under his wing. I volunteered for a number of years for his organization. And then he took me on as a a staff member, a paid employee. And what the book is really about is a fateful night in late April of 1980. I was uh, overseeing the funds office briefly while he was out of town. And that involved answering the phone and telling people he'd be back in touch when he returned. But this was something that couldn't wait. And it was that the last diving horse from the steel pier in Atlantic City Mm. was about to go on the auction block. And one had already passed through that portal, never to be seen again. And it is thought that he went to a slaughterhouse. And when you think about this was the iconic act of Atlantic City. Everybody who went to Atlantic City, even if you didn't care about horses or, I mean, you just had to see the diving horses. They were there from 1929 to 1978. Wow. And yet when the pier was sold to Resorts International, they didn't care about the horses. If they had put out the word, I know that many animal welfare groups would have responded and say, you know, we can give them a proper retirement. But instead, they were paid $100 a horse. Like that makes a difference to resorts, right? Um, Resorts International, who bought it? So um, (laughs) one was already gone, and I heard about the horse named Gamal. I told Cleveland when he returned, we have to do something. And he said, of course we'll do something. And he gave me a literal blank check and sent me down to the auction. And I, of course, had the winning bid. Wow. Well, so, and then what, what, uh, the horse was, uh, Gemmel? Gemmel? Gamal. Gamal. G-A-M-A-L. All right, Gamal. Um, so the, what, uh, you, you were able to adopt Gamal, and then where did Gamal go with you? Where did uh, Gamal end up? Well, um, the, initially the idea was that Gamal was to go to the fund's new ranch in Texas called the Black Beauty Ranch. Mm-hmm. But fortunately for Gamal and me, Um, They hadn't finished fencing in the ranch, so he had to stay with me until that project was was done. And it took longer than it was supposed to. And during that time, our relationship really blossomed. And I thought, gee, this horse is 26 years old. Should he really be traveling to Texas in the heat of the summer? That's how I made my case. And Cleveland was very soft-hearted underneath the rough exterior, very soft-hearted. And he allowed me to keep Gamal for the rest of his life. Aww. That's uh, just uh, a story is just astounding. So if no one has seen uh, the cover of the book and, and on your website, there's a, a few images of uh, the diving horses. And it's just it's really to, to see it. 
with a modern set of eyes, um, in, in, in modern animal care and animal welfare, you know, awareness, to see that is just it, – it, it's, it's almost unbelievable. It's, it's you know – I, and I think part of the idea of the act was that it was to be unbelievable. And that's what made people look. Yeah. Um, it was devised by a man named Doc Carver. And he was a famous sharpshooter, the world's champion sharpshooter, in fact. Mm-hmm. And then for a time, he was in business with Buffalo Bill Cody. And they went around together with the Wild West show. They had a falling out. Doc Carver started his own show called Wild America, but a lot of other shows like that were forming in like in the 1870s and 80s. And he knew there were too many, too much competition out there. He had to come up with something new and different. Well, what what could be newer or more different than a diving horse? And there are various stories about how he came up with it, but, um, what it involved was training the horse first, just for first finding a horse that liked water because some of them do and some of them don't. Right. But then once you found one who did, then you start having it just go into more, more or less a puddle. And then, well, having it jump over a jump, maybe a foot high, two feet high, and gradually increasing it and increasing the depth of the puddle. Yeah. Um, and then eventually going up the ramp getting to the top and sailing into the air, into the 10-foot-deep tank of water. So he started that in 1840 in Kansas City, Missouri, at a park. But um, And it was very popular, but Doc Carver, he had the uh, soul of a a showman. Mm -hmm. And he thought, gee, what else can I do to make it even better? And then he came up with the idea, I will have a woman be on the horse's back. Sure. So um, what could go what could go wrong? (laughs) The bathing beauty would be waiting at the top of the ramp, which was between 40 and 60 feet high, depending. Mm -hmm. And um, the horse would get to the top, stand on the platform, should hold on to his harness, just leap on, hold on to a very flimsy thing. It was like a couple of belts stitched together Mm -hmm. and then when the horse was ready when it felt like it sometimes immediately and sometimes it would take a while it would jump off into that 10 foot deep tank of water and then it really took off people you know the crowds went wild and it was so popular that doc carver at one time had two troops of horses one east of the Mississippi and one west of the Mississippi. So at, at, what, at the peak, or, or how many horses were involved in this show? Um, they had uh, half a dozen, Jeez. so three and three, yeah, okay. east and west. Right. But then Doc Carver died in 1927. Mm-hmm. So two of his diving girls, riders, and a man who had been um, the manager of the mm-hmm. act decided they were going to split up. So one one woman and the man went to Atlantic City and signed the contract there. And they first appeared in 1929. And they didn't travel around anymore. They stayed in Atlantic City. They were there from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Wow. Four shows a day, six days a week. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It, it, and again, if you, if you see the photos, it's 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 
<laughs> it's it's un, it's unbelievable. It's it's surreal. Uh, we're here, here in Metro Detroit, and uh, our Detroit Zoo had some features and things that you know there were uh, uh, there were chimpanzees uh, and other primates that that would put on a show and they'd be in dresses or just like little cowboys and riding Shetland ponies and riding little mini bikes and you know it's it's uh, you know it's it's it seems barbaric today. Uh, but that was that was entertainment in in the you know the forties and the fifties and the sixties. You know that was mm-hmm. acceptable entertainment at the time. Uh, today it's it's much different. I don't think you could uh, stage that sort of event today. Um, uh, who would want to? But uh, possibly do that. It's 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 a different time uh, in in our country. It's it's interesting. So the book itself, how much of the history uh, is exposed, and what are people going to find in the book, the the last diving horse in America? Um, well, I think of it primarily as a memoir about how the horse changed me and how okay. I changed him. There's also uh, a good dose of history in that, um, starting with Doc Carver and what the world was like then and what they considered entertaining. Um, And then I go into the details about who these various characters were who participated in the act. The people who were at the Steel Pier, they spun various stories about their backgrounds and what their names were and, and all of that. And I mean, it's harmless. It's, I guess, like sure. the flying Wallendas or something, you know, yeah. who aren't Wallendas. But <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> so uh, your experience with uh, writing this book, because this, this adoption took place um, back in the 80s. 1980. Uh, yeah, back in, in the, so the early <laughs> 1980. 1980. Uh, what have you been doing? Why did it take you so long to write the book? <laughs> so why, why, yeah, why, why the book no, now? No, that's a fair question. And people have asked me that, and I've kind of asked myself. But um, the first is that um, I feel I needed a certain distance from the, from the horse and from the project and from the era to really know what this was about. I mean, I could have just written, and then I did this, and then he did that. Uh, mm. But I wanted more than that of it. And then when the history came in and it's so rich and colorful, it seemed natural to kind of breathe the two stories together. Um, but the other reason is that I have been, uh, you've, extremely you've been busy. busy with these <laughs> greyhounds. Um, start, that started in 1987. And at that point I was, I had gone off on my own and I adopted one greyhound, but then one led to somebody saying there's a greyhound near needs needs a home and it went on i wrote a couple of books about greyhounds so i wasn't idle but um you know placing 5500 dogs takes a lot of time so now greyhound racing is almost gone and because of that i have more time we used to take dogs in every weekend that doesn't happen anymore so now I've had a little time. I'm older. I've had time to, I guess, look back on my life, reflect. What did it all mean? Did I throw my time away? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So you were involved with uh, some other, is it, would equine be the, the right word? Some burrows um, and some, some wild horses or mustangs as well? Yes, yes. And- um, 
So the reason why the Fund for Animals in Cleveland Amory bought the ranch in Texas mm -hmm. was because they were involved in a very important project of rescuing burrows first from the Grand Canyon and then from Death Valley, um, several other public lands in the West, why, Bandelier National Monument. It was a big deal at the time. Why, why did they and, need to be rescued? What was What was wrong with their environment? Well, the Park Service said that the animals were eating native plants okay. and they had to be shot. Oh, and there oh, was oh. no other way to do it. You have to kill them to save them. All right. Okay. So to save, uh, the, save the plants, we have to kill the burrows. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and you said, and, no, and I don't think so. Said, <laughs> they also said it wasn't good for the burrows either because there wasn't really enough water for them and they were pretty skinny. So let's just kill them. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland Amory wasn't that kind of man. And he said, gee, I, I think there is a way. There, there was a court battle, and eventually the judge gave him 30 days to get some burrows out. Okay. Well, the fund, that, that was an impossible task, but the fund got out more burrows in the first day than the Park Service had done in the previous 30 years. Okay. So eventually they were given permission to take out the animals. And then, as I said, it spread from one area to another. But once you get them out, what are you going to do with them? Yeah, where do they so, go? Yeah. Yeah, so they took them to their ranch in Texas. But even if you adopted the animals locally, there were thousands. There were 6,000 burros and 4,000 mustangs. Whoa. So Cleveland appointed me to set up adoption centers around the country because he had made a plea. If you have a farm and you'd like to help, you know, let us know. So people all over did. They raised their hands. Gee, I have a nice spread. I could use some burrows and, you know, help find homes for them. So I would go from farm to farm and talk to people about what's involved with adoptions and how you should screen people and how to take care of the animals, which I, I learned this on the fly. Sure. I don't, nobody's born. There was no textbook college. out there for that? <laughs> no, no, and you can't go to school for it. You just learn. Right. I've made some mistakes. Everybody does. But sure. overall, it was a very successful project. So that's where I really got my feet wet in adoptions. Mm -hmm. And then what was the precipice for uh, greyhound adoptions and, and getting involved with, with that? Because you adopted one fella yourself. Is that how it all started? Yes, it, it all yeah, starts with it, one. It always <laughs> starts with one. And um, it, his name was King. His mm. racing name was Low Key 2, T-W-O. Mm. And he had been in several different homes and kept getting returned for one reason or another. And I ran into a woman who knew that my dog had just died and said, here's a dog who really needs a home. Can't oh. you help him? Yes. So I did. Um, but then I found out there weren't, there wasn't a network of greyhound adoption groups mm -hmm. at the time. And most, well, most many greyhounds met a very sad fate when they were finished racing because the racing people for reasons unknown didn't think that people would want them as pets. They thought of them as racing dogs. Very, Some of them were very nice racing dogs, but racing dogs. Right. And I didn't invent the idea of greyhounds as pets, but it was apparent to anybody who had one that they were more than just racing dogs. They were that. They were and are fantastic athletes, but they're so amazing in that they transitioned very easily to 
you know, being on your sofa draped across <laughs> a pillow. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> they, 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 they acclimate to the couch very well. Very well. <laughs> yeah, I've 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 had friends that that have had greyhounds and uh, and whippets and and I'm enamored with with both of them, uh, and and yeah, it's uh, I, <laughs> but it's work, right? And so adopting, what what do you need to know if you if you're thinking about adopting a greyhound? What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the benefits uh, of bringing one of these guys into your life? Um. Well. Nowadays, there are more people who want them than there are retired racers. Oh. And when I started, there were tens of thousands looking for homes. So things have really changed in 33 years, well, very that's, much That's so. a good thing? Well, yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. I think, I mean, that that's a program in itself, I'm afraid. Yeah. But this is what we're dealing with now, fewer. So... What you need to know if you think about adopting a greyhound is a fenced yard is a good idea. And if you don't have a fenced yard, you can never let the dog off lead unless it's in a fenced yard because it will run and run and run. And that'll be the end of it. Very few ever come back. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. You want to be careful, too, if you do have small animals, even though they might be good with your cat in the house. If the cat somehow was outside, then the dog tends to see it as, you know, the little fuzzy uh, stuffed rabbit that they chase around the racing oval. So you, you need to be careful of that. Okay. And they're sensitive dogs. These aren't rough and ready, let's wrestle on the living room floor kind sure. of dog. They're yeah. elegant. They're muscular. They're very very intuitive almost they seem to sense your feelings and you know do their best to be companionable so that's the upside and the downside perhaps right right so the the blanket uh rescue that you work with is make peace with animals is that yes. uh where the greyhounds and and your other work goes on what's happening with make peace with animals um well we're still taking in greyhounds we're uh, getting a couple surprise dogs this weekend sure. um and last weekend we took in five um so they're still out there and i over this many decades i've developed a good relationship with the racing people and so they still get in touch with us when there are some that have either retired as racers or as is the case this weekend, one of the dogs we're getting is eight years old. She had been a brood, had a couple of litters of puppies. And so she's finished with that work. So one will be two years old and kind of a washout at the track. And the other one is eight years old, did very well at the track and then had her two litters. All right. So where is, is, is racing from what I, it's in, it's in Florida. Is it limited to, to Florida? The well, greyhound? no, it's not in Florida anymore. Oh, no, Florida it's not. Florida was the state for greyhound That's racing. That's what I thought. Yeah. I think at one time there were a dozen tracks there. Yeah. And some of them were part-time where, you know, they'd finish racing at one and then for six months and they'd go to another. It was the circuit. Yeah. But they made it illegal in Florida oh, last okay. year. Wow. So all of those tracks closed. They're also all closed in New England. They okay. had them scattered everywhere there. So now there's only a couple of tracks left, and that's the reason why. Are those uh, uh, are, are limited those, availability? Are those on the way out as well? Is there advocacy going on? 
Well, I don't think that you can really run a business because Greyhound Racing was a biz- is a business with sure. three racetracks. Sure. And one of those three is going to be closing on um, December 31st, 2022. So okay. then you'll have two. They're both in West Virginia. Okay. All right. So are, are, were you involved with the, the political advocacy on this at all? No, no. I have from the beginning been involved with helping the dogs afterwards i think of our group is like the red cross you know we're taking them in to help them yeah and finding those homes uh well here's the thing about uh, a a popular breed and so it might be the double-edged sword of it all um it it, like any disney movie name name a dog from a disney movie um or any movie that is you know um, and, and they become extraordinarily popular, and they get overbred, which can actually hurt the breed uh, a little bit. So with the diminishing numbers of greyhounds needing homes, um, is there a trouble now of you know, them ending up in, in less than reputable breeders? I wouldn't say so. Um, no. I think it's the opposite, really. Oh. Like something like 101 Dalmatians, yeah. um, they became the rage, yeah. and then people started cranking them out. Um, racing greyhounds were always bred for what they can do. They weren't bred for their looks and breeding dogs for their looks rather than for their occupation is a road to disaster. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So So greyhounds are extremely healthy dogs. And I have to say the ones at the remaining tracks are very well taken care of. They're athletes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So um, the, the, the Last Diving Horse uh, in America, the book, um, was this uh, your first venture as an author? No, no. I um, wrote a book called Adopting the Racing Greyhound back okay. in 1992. And uh, in a surprise to my publisher, as well as to me, <laughs> it's, it's sold over 100,000 copies. Nice. I mean. I, I thought, gee, are they even going to sell the first printing, which was 2500 Sure. I think they were taking a chance. But the publisher had something wonderful to say, and that was, we're not publishing this because there is a market. We're publishing it because there should be a market. Nice. Because um, it was to encourage people to adopt, and it did talk about the good side and the bad side of the breed. And then I wrote another book a few years later after that called The Reign of the Greyhound, which traces the breed to 6000 BC. Okay. The oldest. Now, not necessarily looking exactly like the current day mm-hmm. Greyhound, but, um, you know, Afghans, Salukis, Borzois, they're all members of a family and they go way back. So what was their job? Because most dogs back in the day had a, had a job. So mm-hmm. what was, uh, what these working dogs, what were their, what was their job in their earlier Hunting. incarnations? Uh, Hunting. Rabbits, okay. primarily. Small, small animals, they could hunt them down. Okay. Important stuff. So uh, the last diving horse in America, where can people find it? Uh, where can people get it? Where can get their mitts on it? Um, Anywhere books um, can be sold. Sure. Amazon, of right. course, your local independent bookstore. Okay. I think Walmart, Target. Nice. You know, anywhere. But yeah. I think it's a good read. It's not um, too heavy on the history. Just enough, you know, the, the interesting mm-hmm. points. And lots of great vintage photographs, too. 
of yeah. what people looked like then and how they dressed and sure. even the expression on their faces. It's interesting. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. it is to me. So did you grow up in the Atlantic City, uh, New Jersey area? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, but not in Atlantic City. Okay. And I had one experience there in 1964. My father went to the Democratic National Convention. Oh. Um, uh, he worked for the Attorney General, and so he had to go. So he brought my mother and me along. And uh, that was the time I saw the diving horses. But it made a, a tremendous impression on me. And I didn't quite know why at the time. I was 11 years old. Uh -huh. And it just was an image that kept coming back to me. And I think it had some, you know, looking back now, I think it had something to do with you may want time to stand still because I had a wonderful time. My father held my hand mm. and, you know, it was I was on the cusp between being a kid and being a teenager and I wanted time to stand still. But I think the horse showed me that you have to complete the dive. In order for something to be done, you have to go forward. Nice. That's what I took from it. Not then, but afterwards. Sure. Nice. Nice, nice. All right. So uh, The Last Diving Horse in America, Cynthia Brannigan. It's available uh, everywhere. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Uh, I appreciate you taking some time and uh, sharing your story with us. Anything else uh, we need to cover before we take off here? No, I think you pretty much covered it. All right, it's, so make uh, peace with animals. How do people get uh, in touch oh, with that rescue? Can they donate? Do you do fundraisers? Oh, yes, they can donate. Um, <laughs> people do. We're always bogged down with vet bills, believe sure. me. But um, makepeacewithanimals.org. Fair enough. All I right. appreciate that. Thank oh, you. Absolutely. Cynthia, thanks for taking the time. I, I appreciate you. I just I, I love the story. I love history. Uh, you know, obviously love the animals. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's, it's, it's an interesting history of, 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 of what was acceptable and, and what is logical today. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to juxtapose those things. And, uh, I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. And uh, I will give, uh, Jamie Brannigan your regards. <laughs> Please do. All right. Be well. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Yay. All right. There we go. We're clear. Thank you. Okay. So that was fun. Thanks. Um, and uh, you asked some really good questions. I appreciate it a lot. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's uh, just I, I'm enamored by the greyhounds. I just I just love them critters, you know. And then uh, the, the horse is just wildly fascinating to me. So thank that you. That Gamal was an amazing horse. I still think, I mean, I haven't had thousands of horses, but... I still think he was different, and he so, tested me. And yeah, did you get to ride him, or were you just you hung out? Or no, no, he wasn't a riding well, one kind of time horse. I did, okay. but mostly, um, you know, we just went along together. We went in the Delaware River together uh, on a regular basis near likes... Washington, across the Delaware. Yeah, oh wow. Uh, he wanted <laughs> to get out in the middle, and I had to tell him I don't think so. Oh, good lord! So, let me restart the recording. Where am I at? <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, Cynthia, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, be well. Bye. Bye-bye.